Greetings, my name's Andrew Sumner. My grandfather, Pop Smythe, bought me my first comic book in Liverpool, England when I was three years old, and I spent the next 50 years hurtling around the pop culture kaleidoscope, first as a fan and then as a journalist, editor, publisher and presenter. Along the way, I met a bunch of interesting people who will be joining me here. Creators, performers, professionals and public servants. We live in divisive, fractured times, but art and popular culture connect people from all viewpoints and from all walks of life. I'm often struck by the passions people enjoy, that they can set aside their differences for and agree on, whatever those passions are, whether I share them or not. And that spark, that moment of instinctive, connective agreement, that's what I call a hard agree. So the whiskey that I brought today is the world's best single malt whiskey. It's not a rye whiskey. It's a single malt. But only because you said in our last episode that it had to be good whiskey and it had to be good ginger beer. Yes. So I've got Fever Tree, premium yes, ginger beer. Fever Tree, excellent choice. Yeah. I've got Kavalan. Brilliant. Highways. Single Walt Whiskey, which was given to me as a gift when I was on my press tour for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we premiered in Taiwan. It was, I think, one of the best premieres I've ever been to. It was incredible. They pulled out all the stops. It was absolutely amazing. And they left me with this beautiful bottle of whiskey that has won awards all over the world in 2000 and what year? 15, I think it was the, it was, it was voted the world's best single malt whiskey. And then like the jerk that I am, I got drunk on it one night with some friends in Hawaii (laughs) and I left it out on my patio. And the next day I slept in really long because I was drunk the night before. And I left it out in the blazing hot sun. Oh man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I, I think I probably ruined it. Yeah. Oh, but I love whiskey. But yeah, me too. Me too. We're, oh, we're Irish girl. I love my whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> and like you, I'm I'm sort of a purist about it. I only drink it neat normally. Mm. Um, I really love whiskey. In fact, actually, now that I'm a now that I'm a transplant in America, I can admit that I actually love Jack Daniels. Oh yeah, yeah. What's not to love? Yeah, what's not yeah, to love? I mean, you can't beat it. Well, my my uh, my uh, whiskey and uh, my rye whiskey and ginger ale, my camera style is um, Jim Beam pre-prohibition rye. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and the ginger ale that I've got is um, not Fever Tree. It's another British brand which is Fentiman's, and uh, they do a wonderful ginger beer and a wonderful ginger ale. So if you ever get the chance to have uh, any, any kind of Fentiman's mixer, they're all very, they're all delicious, done old school. So you're yeah. talking about full fat sugar. I think I've now, heard of them. Oh, yeah, they do, they do great stuff. And what they have in common with Fever Tree, of course, is that they, you, you're not drinking any kind of um, carcinogenic, like fake sugars, aspartame. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't drink fizzy drinks. I don't like them at all. I would only ever have them as like a mixer in an alcoholic drink. Yeah. But if you're going to have them, I think I think the world is literally drowning in fake sweet sugary drinks that will kill you not instantly by making you obese, but will kill you over 30 years by giving you cancer. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Cheers to you. I see you. I I did lime. You did lemon. Mm. 
Excellent. It was ever thus. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good metaphor yeah, for who we are and this whole journey of like yeah. the mirror imaging of each other, you know, I love same it. thing, different sides. Yeah, this line comes from our, uh, so in my old house in Hawaii, we had an incredibly prolific lime tree. And when yeah. we left, we were like, we cannot lose this lime tree. So we um, grafted it and my girlfriend oh, brilliant. in her yard. And now she gives us limes from our- Fantastic. I love it. Bring, that's a metaphor for life. Bring your lime tree with you, Zika. <laughs> yes, yes. But you have to tell the listeners why we're drinking this drink. Oh yeah, of course. So, so um, the reason we're drinking this drink, this is our celebratory drink because uh, welcome to Hard Degree. To Hard Degree presents Evangeline Lilly's Library of the Soul. I'm Andrew Sumner. I'm here with my good friend Evangeline Brains Lilly, and this is the concluding episode of our seven-part series, Evangeline Lilly's Library of the Soul. And cheers to the conclusion is what we say. Cheers to the conclusion and cheers. cheers- mate. To, to the character you were researching that got you into this drink in the first place. The great Mike Hammer, as um, typified on the small screen by Stacey Keach in the 1980s. He used to play him on, on TV. Yeah, Mickey Splain's Mike Hammer. I have to say that this, to me, is so symbolic of, um, I think, I'm going to now say our, whether you like it or not our brand of spirituality (laughs) because I have always my whole adult life. I have sworn like a sailor. I have drank guys under the table. I've smoked stogies and hookah pipes and been just really not the glowing example of what most people think of as someone who is a spiritual seeker. Um, And yet, and also not instead of, but um, the the core of who I am is so totally and completely rooted in my faith, and it is what drives everything. It's what drives. It is what drives my engine. It's my fuel, and uh, and I love I love the irony. I love the juxtaposition and and the sort of contrary nature of drinking whiskey as a way of celebrating getting through talking about five spiritual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I was speaking to uh, to one of my oldest friends uh, the other day. He's a guy called Paddy Horton, who, like myself, was a magazine publisher, and um, and um, he was he was uh, he still works in publishing. He's he's got a very senior position with a company called Bauer, which is one of the biggest global publishing magazine magazine publishing companies. But for many years, we worked together for many years, and uh, we worked we worked together on competing magazines. But for many years, he was the uh, he was the managing director of Empire Magazine, the movie mag, which you've probably seen. Yeah. yeah. And um, I've been on the cover of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. <laughs> I have not been on the cover of it. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was, and I actually remember one of the covers you were on, uh, which is epic. I, I, I mean, that's it. I mean, come on. If you're, if you're an actor, mate, it's, it's one of the supreme accolades, right? Being on the Empire cover is a big deal. It's pretty cool. Uh, I remember at the time not having a clue, you know. Yeah. But, but, you know, in hindsight, I can look back on my career and be like, wow, I got to do some really cool things. (laughs) Yeah, you you (laughs) certainly did. And I was talking to Paddy the other day. I was telling him about what we're doing. And he was like, what? Hang on. So you and Evangeline (laughs) earlier recording a podcast about spirituality. 
I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you pulling my dick? Is this the truth? Is this true? I know, yeah, no, you know, really. Wait a minute. So, so let me get this right. A, you're friends with Evangeline Lee, yeah. And B, you guys are recording, creating a podcast together, yeah. And C, it is about spirituality. I said it absolutely is, and it's about two-fisted barroom spirituality was my yeah. description and that's it, it isn't it you know that's 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 exactly right it, because that. the the mistake people make when it seems to me speaking matters of the spirit and you know the internal life what we believe and what we're trying to get out of this time on earth is that people talk about spirituality in, in highfalutin terms you know redolent of the carnival preacher who's trying to fleece, fleece you or appear on tv and get you to pledge x amount of money or, or a sitting, standing there in a cathedral in a load of robes. It all seems so divorced from the human experience where it's all about the human experience. And, you know. And, and what I, what I, what I, well, sorry, were you? No, yeah, no, it's good. No, please go. Yeah. Well, what I, what I love is that um, I feel like where you and I um, split is that that is the part that the pedestrian boots on the ground, two fists up, nature of spirituality is what you have always been instinctively magnetically drawn to. And that's the part of you that is like, okay, that I can get on board with the rest. You can just blow me, but that I can get on board with. I love the highfalutin shit. I (laughs) love it. I love it. And that's why to this day, I still connect deeply to my Christian heritage. I still to this day, I, I listen, I can listen to, I can listen to preachers or speakers if they are wise and inspired from literally anywhere, from anything. I can, I've gone to a Muslim mosque and come out in tears because I was touched by God and I felt the presence of this eternal purity there. And I can go to a carnival in the center of town and have an experience where I come away electric with the Holy Spirit. And I can, you know, I can go to a Buddhist temple and sit in contemplation and meditation and chanting and absolutely feel like I've been lifted into another plane. And and for me, all of that pomp and ceremony is divine. Like I love, love, love it, but I don't attach, attach, attach to it. You know, that's I think where we can get along is I, I know it's not necessary. I just love it. I, I like it so much. And it it moves me. And it's like, for me, it's like listening to an incredible symphony. That is a spiritual experience. Or even like American Idiot by Green Day. Yeah. That's a spiritual experience for me. Like I yeah. I love it all. And I feel like people who have walked this earth before me and with me can usher me into higher heights than I could ever go on my own. And I think what's just so dangerous right now that I see going on in the world in such a profound way is this rejection outright of religion and spirituality in a, in a, in a communal structured way um, that really points to the individual experience, which I'm all about. I've only ever based everything off of my own individual experience, but I recognize how in a vacuum, I can only go so far. But when I read a book or I listen to a speaker or I hear a podcast or a song or I see a dance or other people become a part of the construct of my spiritual experience, 
it is elevated beyond anything I could ever reach on my own. And that's where that biblical truth of where two or more are gathered. Yeah. There the Holy Spirit will be. And I think there's such value in that. And I hope that we can make a beautiful shift in our culture away from um, the toxicity that can come with organized religion, but not away from religion itself, you know, but into a new way of communally experiencing these higher states of mind communally experiencing our greater purpose, communally experiencing our humanity through our spirituality. Yeah, I, that's so interesting because I think uh, I think actually something you've touched upon is that art and the the collective appreciation of art is, is one of the conduits to that state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something you said, which is immensely powerful to me, and I don't think that we've talked about this before, but you, you referenced uh, Green Day's American Idiot. As it happens, I am a huge Green Day fan, massive Green Day fan. And uh, in the course of my day job, uh, I have produced a series of Green Day collectibles, right, for Hot, for hot Topic in the USA uh, as an exclusive. Uh, and um, doing that deal with, with um, Warner Music Group, with Warner Records, was a beautiful moment because I'm such a fan. And um, one of the traditions within the immediate Sumner family with myself and my two kids is that that as they've grown up, we've always gone to see every Green Day tour as it's hit the UK. And it's one of the things that we share together. And and we have had these incredibly uh, spiritual moments of, of, you know, love, acceptance and transcension when we've been there at Green Day shows. Because one of the things I, 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 uh, I absolutely believe is that, uh, is that Billy Joe is just an amazing frontman, and he has mm. this incredible ability to connect with an entire audience. Whether I've seen them at Wembley Stadium, I've seen them at the GMX in Manchester, lots of big venues in the UK. But he has—he's one of those frontmen who has the ability to make a big venue seem like a small room. And they—they um, they regularly, as part of the shows, do this thing where they bring the audience in, bring kids from the audience in who can play instruments and get them to play with the band and whatnot. And they're just. It's they do it every time. They do two things, which is they get audience members to play a song, and he's literally there going, "You can you play three chords on a guitar?" And sometimes the kid is like, "Yes," and they can't. And sometimes it's like, "I know the whole fucking song." He's like from up here, and they get them to play, it. and it's an an amazing. A transcendent moment and they always do a number called king for a day which is them goofing off and playing stupid riffs and dressing up and they just get everybody to dance along and they do the whole um do the whole uh uh the bit from shouting animal house where they go and a little bit louder now and a little bit softer mm-hmm. now they get they get the whole and it's like a hundred thousand people they get to go down they get to go up and he's just working the strings of the audience and it's Every time has been a beautiful moment, and it's something I've shared with my kids since they were little, and uh, and it's truly beautiful. And I think those are the moments where we are accessing God, or one of the last books we talked about. One of the great things about about that about that book is, uh, is Workaholics Anonymous Book of Recovery is that when they go through the kind of the pledge dynamic, which you get in like you get in Alcoholics Anonymous, they refer to God or whatever you understand as God. And and as you know from our conversations, that that's where it that's where it hits me. That's what I feel. It's it's how I connect to the universe. That's what it's about. And I think. 
it's so funny that you said that because it, it that rings such a complete bell. That is totally my view of what's going on and where we're at. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? During the course of these five book-related conversations, that 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 meeting that meeting of minds and that like communality of thought and belief is actually what we've discovered during that journey. And I didn't I didn't know it was there at the beginning. At the beginning, I thought. This is going to be me and Evangeline talking about a bunch of stuff that I think is fucking horseshit. You know what I mean? And at the end of it, I'm going, I was hoping for that. I yeah. was like, like, we got halfway through and I had a moment of disappointment where I went, oh, well, now we're just like in an echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But actually, it's not really an echo chamber. That, that, I think that's been an interesting thing. It's like, uh, it's yeah, there's, 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 there's the communality of thought and result. But actually, your route into it is so different from mine and from such a different angle. That's what I find fascinating. And in fact, that's what lends credence to the whole exercise. It's the fact that no matter where you start, this is where you end up. And I think that's very interesting. I really believe that this is the key to, in a swanky way, world and But in a more personal way, like, this is the key to the end of polarization. I, I, I go off all the time about discourse and how we've lost our ability to have discourse and how tragic that is and what a danger that is. Um, but I really see that as the core of what is needed right now in our culture is conversations between two people of opposing viewpoints who come in from a place of love, a place of understanding, a place of acceptance and openness, and just see what happens. See what each one of us can learn from each other. See where we might actually discover common ground that we didn't know we had. See where we discover different ground that we didn't maybe know we had, but that we can actually respect in the other. And when I hear you talk about your Green Day concert experience, I've had an experience like that at concerts. I've also had experiences like that at church. And I feel like there is so much right now, so much intolerance towards people who want to go to church. And I don't, I haven't gone to church in 10 or so years, primarily because the last time I went to church that ended it for me, um, I knew when I was worshiping, I could feel that there were people watching me because I was famous. And at the end, I had some kids come up and ask for my autograph. And I realized church will never be the same for me. I I can no longer be a part of that community. I will be isolated. And so if I'm going to be isolated, I'd rather not distract other worshipers from God. I would rather do it on my own. And I miss it. I miss that communal experience and I look for it in so many other ways now. And I think many of us are looking for it online, which can be really beautiful, but I, I hope we keep looking for it in person. I hope we keep looking for ways in which we can face-to-face connect with one, with one another. And I hope that as COVID restrictions lift in different places in the world, that we have this resurgence of understanding of how important face-to-face, human-to-human interaction is. And we make space for our differences. You know, we make space for you to experience God through Green Day and for me to experience God through a religious ceremony. 
you know, and that that's okay. And that we're not having different experiences. They're differing, but they're the same experience. We're still connected through that experience and that they're both valid and they're both beautiful. And yours isn't evil and mine isn't evil. That being religious is not evil and that being secular is not evil. That we're all being human and that yeah. being human is gorgeous. Yeah. You know, and the, the tapestry is gorgeous. The differences are what make it so gosh darn exciting and beautiful and that they are not the thing that is our enemy, that we don't need to homogenize ourselves and become the same in order to get along. But we, can we accept that we're different and manage to still get along because of our differences, be interested, be curious? Now, I, I, th- I think that's, um, that's the fundamental question for for you know human society it, right here right now in the moment in which we live where there's there's so much judgment and there's so much division and there's so much vilification you know and and the thing i've known within myself my entire life is that we're all the same we're all different expressions of the same thing irrespective of race creed religion gender sexual sexual preference whatever however we label ourselves or don't label ourselves you know, it's a, it's a common human experience. And actually that wealth of difference, I think, is what makes the world an interesting place. And as, as a secular person, I find all religions completely fascinating because, because, because they have so much in common. To my eye, it's all kind of just shades of the same thing. Oh. And, and the basic tenets of all of these faiths, they're kind of the same thing. You know, with some extremities in there, something's dialed up, something's dialed down. But everybody, every human beings are predisposed to faith. That's why faith exists. Everybody's got a need to believe something. Mm -hmm. And the fact that all of these things are so similar at the end of the day when you analyse them, you know, you realise there's a basic underlying human truth in all of it. And as much as I've trashed, you know, Monks, men sat in cells writing religions by hand, you know, in, in the 10th century. And I still have the same kind of view of that. It, 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 the, the truth is the work that they produced spoke to people. And, you know, is religion the opiate of the masses? Well, yes, it is. But, you know, what's wrong with opium would be my question. You know, and, and, um, and you know, I, there are people who are very close to me who would tell you that opiates are are a beautiful and spiritually accessive thing. You know, and I find you know it's that taking the judgmentality and the fear of other people and the vilification of other people out of the mix, I think is part of the key to like human survival and the human race blossoming and, you know, you know, not self-destructing. And we're in this period of time, I think in human history where self-destruction is probably the, you know, the destruction of the environment and self-destruction are the two things we've got to kind of deal with right here, right now in this moment in time. But objectification is a big problem. It's like that person over there doesn't believe what I believe or, or behaves in an awful way. And that person is the enemy. You know, that that's the problem. We've got to embrace the fact that they're all the same. I think, I think where I've come to through this journey and where I'm at in this moment in time, of course, every moment of a person's spiritual walk, you might see something different. But in this moment where I have come to is realizing for myself that if I can talk about human self-destruction on a mass level, you know, as us, as us with a capital U, because I think of God with a capital G in terms of 
a with a capital all with a capital a and us with a capital u like it is i consider everything that is full of the energy of life to be the manifestation of god and so when i think of us self-destructing and when i think of you saying humans were you know sort of born with this propensity towards faith i i sort of feel like we are the source you know we are not the result we are the source and so if we are self-destructing i have to look at me you know i have to look at how i am self-destructing and that was a big part of where this journey has taken me right in this moment which is in this space of like i said just being on the coattails of having done a 12 step program to recover from workaholism and realizing what a perfectionist i am and realizing the standards i hold myself to and the ways that i berate myself or the ways that i i reject myself if i am not perfect and realizing if i can't get that right with me i will never get it right with the rest of the world if i can't be at peace with my own mistakes how will i ever be at peace with the shortcomings of other people around me who are separated from me by this illusion of matter it won't happen that it starts here and if we want to stop self destructing as an us with a capital u we have to stop self destructing as an i with a capital i you know and it says over and over in every religious text at least no not every religious text in many um but especially the christian bible you know that god is the i am and if god is the i am then what am i and that is the key you know that is where i start that is the work i have to do yeah no i, I that that's that, that's very interesting to me when you when you were talking about that i, I was i was thinking about the the, the connection between the me, that, that message that you're talking about because it, it it's it's about reaching out to people and having them having them have some level of kind of mass agreement and understanding uh, and and where where that has a parallel in your life i think outside of your faith is the fact that you have been in these situations we've talked about before where you've been in the middle of these pop culture giants right whether it's lost whether it's the hobbit whether it's the avengers and ant-man which speak to such a wide variety of people irrespective of faith political belief values what whatever they speak to everybody at the same time yeah and there's a universality to how people receive your most recent projects in the in the marvel universe how given the fact that you you've got the you've got the take on your own personal faith and belief that you do and you know you recognize these particular questions within in yourself how does it feel to be in the middle of something that speaks to so many people at the same time all at once riding that particular whirlwind must be fascinating yes well <laughs> yes so i think um in the in the spirit of the presence process you have to be careful what you ask for yeah um i I so had such a great question because it really takes us through the entire journey. When I read the final quest, there's a moment where the protagonist of the final quest goes up the mountain of faith, reaches the summit, is at the feet of God, experiences being in the presence of God Almighty, 
and chooses to go back down to help other people come up the mountain. And in the book, it's, it, it very specifically suggests that some people metaphorically are, are going to go down the mountain and some people metaphorically will stay at the top, some people in the middle, like we all have a different purpose. And when I read that at the age of about 20, 21, I remember distinctly knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will always go back down the mountain that is in my heart, that is in my soul. I want to reach people who don't experience the euphoria and joy that I get to experience through these spiritual journeys I go on. I was a real evangelist, like a really intense evangelist, but I was also extremely obedient to wherever I was being called, wherever I felt I was being called. And I was studying to be a missionary, uh, a diplomat, or an ambassador. I was studying political science and international relations because I was like, I want to help people who are lost. <laughs> who are lost. This irony is not lost on me. <laughs> um, and, I, and, then I, and then I got thrown this sort of left turn where I became lost. I got thrown onto this show. I got thrown into fame in, in the most beautiful. I'm, I, I'm so nervous about the way I word that because it's so important that people understand that I know what a blessing it is. And I understand what an incredible experience it was to be a part of and all those things. It just wasn't the plan. You know, it just, things didn't go according to plan. <laughs> and, and of course, when things don't go according to plan, you're exactly probably where you should be or where you need to be, or you're being given what you asked for, whether you knew it or not. And what I asked for was to reach people who weren't in my echo chamber. You know, I just didn't, I just didn't want to hang out at church and be like Christianese and like, Oh, we all agree. We're so good. We're so right. And everybody's stupid. Like that was never a space I was interested in. It was like, if something has made my life better and if I feel happier because of it, I want to share it. I just want other people to experience it too. But then once I was there, I just clammed up so hard because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I don't have all the answers and I might lead someone astray and I don't know for sure anything. And I love all these people too much to presume that I can tell them where they should be and what they should do and where they should go and how they should think. And the love that I genuinely had that made me such a fierce evangelist in my late teens was the same love that shut me up once I had a huge platform and took that really fucking seriously and was like, I just, just don't want to be wrong. Just don't want to be wrong. And I finally come full circle through this journey we just went through of realizing it's not about being right or wrong. It's about being myself. Yeah, just be honest. Like, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. I'm only just going to say, I love this. Yeah, yeah. You feel great. And I love what you love. Like, how awesome that that makes you feel great. Tell me more about that. I'm really interested, Andrew. And maybe as we talk about the things that just jazz us up and make us feel alive and like give us a purpose and a reason to live, somebody else out there will listen and connect in with what jazzes them up and gives them a purpose and a reason to live. And they'll go pursue that with more passion, whatever that is. 
if we are pursuing what we're passionate about, whatever that is. I, I think I, I I think that's true. I feel I feel the truth of that. Something you touched upon was um, it, it, this whole thing about am I right or am I wrong? In order to um, in order to succumb to that kind of viewpoint, to to torture yourself with the question, am I right or wrong? The, the, I think part of that question is well, well, by whose definition am I right or wrong? Right, and uh, it, invariably the the nature of it means it has to be somebody outside of yourself. Yeah, so who is anybody else to proclaim? Well, that's right and that's wrong. Something I often say to my kids is we often have conversations that that revolve around, well, people say X, Y, Z, and I'm always like, hang on, who says that? Who says that? Why why do you have to do that? Why do you have to do that? Who says it? You know, what you know, how are they any more how they any more has their view any more valid than yours? Fuck those people. They say this, they say that. Just what do you feel is right? That 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 to me it, it accesses what what we've been talking about here, which is it's what's inside yourself. You know, of course, everybody needs checks and balances. You can't take it to the absolute extreme, but by the same token, putting yourself in the hands of somebody else's view of right and wrong, even if it's the person who's charged with managing the religious doctrine that you're interested in. That's not really a very valid thing. You know, it's what you come to yourself, I think, is important. And um, I think what's important is exposing yourself with an open heart to other people's viewpoints. Like, to hear that, let's say it's a preacher in your example, to hear that sermon and listen with an open heart and test it against your truth. Instead of, fuck that guy. Yeah. It's like, no, listen to that guy. Maybe he's got something to offer you. Maybe he doesn't. But getting to know like what you're saying I hear is exactly, you know, what I believe is getting to know that deep inner truth, the sound of it. Everyone's truth inside sounds like I imagine I'm not in other people's psyches, but sounds different. Right. I know what mine sounds like. And I've always called that to give it a word because I need language to communicate the voice of God or the Holy Spirit or my inner guide or source. But whatever that is, conscience is a way, you know, it's been described. Whatever that is, if we don't connect to that, then everything that comes in either has the power to completely um, oppress us or to completely in affect us, like just not affect us at all, just have zero impact on us. And you don't want to live in either one of those vacuums, right? You want to be open. You want to be curious. You want to be humble and listen, but then not subordinate in any way. Autonomous, clear, confident, sure. I think think autonomy is is absolutely something that I've always – Apps always aspired to since since before I knew what that actually meant, and to be you know self determining and autonomous and, and I I think for me a, a big part of my spirituality whatever that may be is is fueled by the beauty of human connection which is the thing I reject is is aggression and and being competitive with other human beings and and therefore feel it feeling like people are invading your space or your belief. It, I I think it's a I think it's a, a beautiful space to be if you can manage just to be interested in people, yeah. 
Uh, and I, 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 if I've got any pause when I say that, it's very easy to sign, say things like that and sound like somebody who's just massively jerking themselves off. Because if I ever, if I ever used to watch stuff on TV back in the day, or I'll be, I'll be watching the Open University, which is a, a kind of academic program we used to have in the middle of the night on British public television, or you know, I'd be watching people on like public access TV or, or all that kind of stuff, ruminating about these issues academics of which I used to be one for a long time one of the reasons I'm not an academic now is because my fellow academics I'd be like just hanging my head thinking man you know kind of this doesn't feel real to me yeah it just feels too abstract like again it's people jerking themselves off about concepts so when I start talking about those same things I become you know self-conscious to a degree but what I feel it is all about is that is that beauty of human connection and just be and being interested in in variant belief systems and the different ways in which people process the human experience because once you do that that is absolutely when you find this communality of thought you know once you once you listen to what people say about their experience whoever they are and whoever they may be actually we live in a world that's full of interesting people with interesting experience some people are blessed and lucky and some people are not and have it as tough as you can get it but but it's all it's all part of what we are and i think keeping an open mind about that and just asking the question that is a personally defined faith in and of itself if that makes sense of course it makes sense it makes so much sense that i don't feel the need to retort (laughs) (laughs) surely that's exactly that's your hard degree moment mate do you know what I mean yeah that is it that's the hard degree right hard degree and I think that that is that is where it's uh, you know in whatever your opinion wherever you stand whatever you think about anything literally anything to remain in a space that says and yet and also you know I mean I hear so much rhetoric these days about um, eliminating aggression. And I, of course, I understand and I relate and I have been the victim of aggression and, and I, I know how damaging it is. And I live in a space where I am extremely adverse to it. You know, I really struggle with aggression, but I can watch myself and recognize that I am so averse to it. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Like there is a time and a place and a moment where if I had no one surrounding me who had an ounce of aggression in them, I would be crying out. Where is our hero? Where is that person? You know, my father is an extremely aggressive man. He is built like an ox. He's not very tall. He's like five, nine, and he's just all muscle. And he always has been, and he's severely ADHD. So he just functions up here and he's so, (laughs) and I'm like the polar opposite. I was like, I was born like my people when I was an infant or not an infant, like a toddler, would ask my mom if maybe I was special needs, like because I was so relaxed. I would just sit in the and smile, and like I couldn't be more opposite. And I can tell you that multiple times in my life, my dad has saved someone's life, and he was the only person in that situation who even recognized someone's life was at risk in time to save it. Like by the time he had saved their life, everyone else was like, "Oh, someone's in trouble." Like. <laughs> just 
It's how his brain works. And I have no desire to discount his place in the world. I have no desire to discount people like him's place in the world. But I do believe that we're all being called to a higher plane of consciousness, which is to say, can you be a person with an immense amount of aggression and know how to navigate lovingly through the world? Can you channel that aggression into love and can it be accepting and can it be open or does it have to be oppressive? I don't believe aggression has to be oppressive. I think in the, in the, in the flip side, and it's something we touched on briefly, I am so grateful for the feminist revolution that we are in the midst of because it is freeing me from so many chains. I'm also well aware of its risks and its dangers. And I think there is an equal risk of oppression in the sort of feministic um, propensity towards tolerance and kindness that doesn't make room for certain other things. You know, that doesn't make room for spontaneity, doesn't make room for mistakes, doesn't make room for aggression, doesn't make room for our propensity towards solving conflict through conflict. You know, that we all have to just get along. Well, sometimes conflict is a very healthy tool in society. And and I just think it's so important for none of us to ever become too polarized. To just hold space for other people to be what they are and look for the ways that that can benefit society and encourage that instead of oppressing or pushing down or saying they're wrong. No, they're not wrong. Maybe they're misdirected in this moment. How do we direct them towards truth and faith? My children are both boys and they love superhero movies. They fucking love Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> they love that's, it. That's going to feel pretty good, right? I mean, that's it feels feel amazing. amazing. It feels amazing. But the thing that I'm always telling them, and it's 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 why I wrote partly, you know, was a motivation behind me writing the Squicker Wonkers, my children's book series, was there is no such thing in real life as a good guy and a bad guy. There are all good people. And some good people have forgotten how to make good choices. They make bad choices. And a hero's job is not to obliterate them. It's not to kill them. It's not to oppress them. A a true hero's job is to remind them of how to make a good choice, how to take that energy that is being channeled into something very malevolent, malevolent? Yeah, Yeah. it works. And and shift it towards something that is loving and beautiful. That is a hero's job. And I feel like even our, our, our fictional stories are moving more and more towards that. I was in love with the ending of the cartoon Moana. I was like, holy shit, they did it. They did it. They broke out of the paradigm and the zeitgeist of good versus evil and shifted into a place of like, Maybe you just don't have the full picture. Maybe you yeah. just don't know the whole story. And maybe if you did, you could solve, you could save a lot of suffering. You could save us from a lot of fighting. You know, it was good. It was good storytelling. I agree. It's it, it's it, it, it's really quite special. And something that you you said that really really speaks to me is um is valuing conflict and not looking at conflict in terms of it's something that is always to be avoided because it is a fundamental agent in the human condition over 2,000, 3,000 years, you know, since since recorded history has existed. Since entertainment has existed, 
conflict is a major ingredient in any drama. Why do we call it drama? Because essentially it's about there's opposing viewpoints or the opposing will to do different things comes into play, right? I mean, when I was talking to you a few weeks ago about uh, the Giovanni Goreshi books, the, the, the Little World of Don Camillo stories, what's great about those stories is that they are faith-based tales of conflict, and about two old friends or colleagues who have fundamentally different views, but find the common ground between the two of them again and again and again and again, and in the most Through amusing conflict. way. What's that? Through conflict. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Through conflict. Through conflict. And that is how they find the balance, not from agreement. And it's okay to disagree. It's okay to come at things from a different angle. I think that I think that you know the the focus is yeah you know it, what we should strive towards is yeah you come from wildly different places but find some common ground and I think it's that, that's what we've been able to do during the course of these conversations. Yeah, I agree. It's been you, good. You hard agree, mate. I I think agree. <laughs> I've enjoyed it so much. I actually found myself this morning being like, ah, oh, I'm going to miss this. Yeah. Yeah. You've been doing this for a while, and I, it's like a touch point in my week, and it's really incredibly rewarding and satisfying for me to just sit down and make space for these conversations. Since I was in university, I find it harder and harder and harder to find places where I can do that. I've actually, I'm, I'm pretty darn sure I will be going back to university within the next five years. I just miss this. I miss rubbing against minds that think differently than mine so that I can sharpen mine. You know, I, and I think yeah. that, that, that that's what this has been. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you say that, and I think two things. The first is, um, of course you'll miss this. Who wouldn't miss talking to me on a <laughs> weekly basis? <laughs> and, and the other thing is that I, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's... Um, it's uh, it, it's it's great just to step back and to talk to somebody you like and respect and listen to them honestly about the things they think, which may be completely different to the things you think and believe. And then to explore the tension in those differing viewpoints and to find that communality of thought, I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's it's a process that I've it's a process that I've really enjoyed, mate. Thank you. Me too. And uh, to everybody listening to this, you know, I, I, both uh, both Evangeline and myself will be fascinated to know what you think about this series of conversations, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, or wildly indifferent, or wildly critical, whatever you think, yeah, we, we'd be very interested in hearing from you, right, mate? Yeah, we want to hear from everybody. It's so interesting to know how people respond to like what I think is can be buttons being pushed. Um, I'm a bit of a button pusher in real life and uh, that's a fault as much as a strength, but I like to know, I, like, I just like to put, put information out in the world, statements, thoughts, ideas that's, that, that might trigger people and, and find out what's out there, find out what people are really thinking. Because I think um, often, you know, what the media can do is really, um, synthesize a lot of voices into, um, you know, sort of a mono voice. And that's just not that way. When I read my, I read a lot of comments on Instagram. I spend a lot of time engaging with my fans on Instagram. And what I love the most is just hearing from individuals. Cause now it's not, 
it's not one song. It's like, it's harmony, you know, it just becomes, it's really beautiful. So yes, we want to hear from you guys. Tell us what you're thinking, whether it's good, bad or ugly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right. yeah, absolutely. And, and Joel, uh, on, on Insta, your Insta handle Evangeline, which all your fans know, but let's reiterate it one more time, is... Evangeline Official. Evangeline official, but Evangeline. By the time I got uh, got hip to the jive of social media and finally got over my high off my high horse of like I will never be on social media and did it. It was Evangeline Lily was long gone. So Evangeline Lily official. And uh, in the event that you want to share any opinions with me, and whether it's whether it's praise, whether it's uh, vilification, I welcome it all. I'm on Twitter and I'm at Sumnar, which is S U M N. A double R, that that's me, and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. That's so fitting. You are on Twitter, and I am on Instagram. That is so fucking fitting. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like you're a Mac and I'm a PC, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, well, cheers. It's been awesome, mate. It's been fucking fantastic, as we say in Liverpool. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's been brilliant, and this has been. Uh, Hard Degree presents Evangeline Lilly's Library of the Soul. This has been our concluding episode. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it or you've been triggered by it or bewildered by it. Even if you think it, it's flat out fucking ridiculous, we would love to hear from you. And Evangeline, take care of yourself, mate. You're just about to go and shoot Quantum Mania. I am. I am. And I'm actually really excited. I am really jazzed on the script. Yeah. So I think, I think this... I knock wood, but I think this is going to be one of our better films in the... Mate, in- I, I, as you know, I own 30,000 comic books and I've spent 30 years as a movie journalist. So the fact that I didn't say that until the last 30 seconds of this episode <laughs> just goes to show how how absolutely uh, involved I was in our conversation. But I, I hope the shoot goes well. Can't, can't wait to see what you guys do. I'm sure it's going to be fucking epic. It's going to be great. All Take right, care, we'll mate. You. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hard Agree. This episode was edited by John Horsley and Kenrick Regan, and our theme music, Golden, was written and performed for this show by Liverpool's finest band, Denio. Hard Agree is a production of the Spoilerverse and myself, Andrew Sumner.